Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can be together this morning. We thank you that we can sing your praises to a, an awesome, wonderful, all-powerful God, but a God that looks at each one of us and loves us so much, and a God that looks at us collectively, your church, and works to build us up and encourages us to build one another up. Lord, we could list your blessings one after another, on and on and on, but we'll simply say right now, thank you. But I do want to thank you for two things. I thank you for your word that we can open here in a few minutes. Uh, Father, we thank you for your spirit, that you send your spirit to help us to understand. But most of all, we certainly thank you for Jesus Christ, that his blood has cleared our sin slate. Praise be to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would have been a teenager like I was in the late 60s, early 70s, you would have saw something, a phenomena happening, the bombardment in culture of some pretty things that previous generations would have said pretty strange. Whether they were thought before or not, they were said out loud in a variety of ways. Television, movies, literature, books, even newspapers, and certainly in the music that was heard. A very popular song at the time was by John Lennon. In fact, it's popular still today. It's called Imagine. And in that song, Lennon sings, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people just living for today. And that sort of become the theme song of that period of time. And I'm not sure if it's ever went away. Uh, another group at the time called Blood, Sweat, and Tears had a song entitled, In When I Die, which I have named the title of today's sermon, not in honor of them. But they said, I'm not scared of dying, and I really don't care. If it's peace you find in dying, well, then let the time be near. And then they go on to say, but I'll never know by living. Oh, before that, they say, I can swear there ain't no heaven but I pray there ain't no hell. But I'll never know by living, only my dying will tell. Well, I got news for them. If the Bible's true, and I'm 100% sure that it is, when they are done living, it's too late to find out what the truth was. The truth is we live in an age right now, and as long as we have breath, we live in an age where our choices make a difference and the decisions we made about, make about Christ matter for where we'll spend eternity. Jason is on a sermon series called Glad You Asked, and I'm glad you asked where is he today. He warned us he would be gone. <laughs> but last week he got a question about forgiveness, that uh, how do I forgive when it really hurts, when I've really been hurt, it's hard. And I thought he gave us an excellent sermon, and I thought he gave us some very good advice. And so I pray that we would all take that advice that we heard last week. A couple weeks ago, he said, I want your questions, so keep them coming. If you haven't submitted one yet, bring them in. I'm sorting through them, and I'll try the best I can to address a lot of them, okay, with some of the things. And don't worry about them being too hard, because I'll be away in July 11th, and I'll give it to Randy. I thought he was kidding. 
Here's the question, I don't know who wrote it, but here's the question he passed on to me. My question is, what does it say in the Bible about what exactly happens the minute we die? I've heard we will be like Jesus. I, I heard we will be with Jesus in the blink of an eye. I've also heard purgatory has been spoken of. I heard we lay in wait in our graves until the resurrection. So what happens the minute I die? It's a good thing that for us to think about. No matter how sure we are, we ought to think of why we're sure. Well, let me first answer this question by saying it depends on who you ask. Ask an atheist, of which there are many to ask, and they will say, nothing happens. Just, you're just like a flower, that wildflower grows up in the woods or in the meadow. You live your life, and when this life's over with, you start falling to pieces and you're scattered somewhere. And that's the end of it. The most hopeless option of, of them all. If you ask a Scientologist or a New Ager or a Hindu, they'll say, well, you come back. You'll be reincarnated. It's karma. It depends on how you've done in this life. So, for example, if you have a squirrel who was a bad squirrel, they might come back as a cockroach. And if you were a good bear, maybe you'll come back as a person. Maybe one of you people were bears or something like that before. Maybe you were a butterfly, did a good job as a butterfly. If you come back so many times, then you enter a state of nirvana, a state of nothingness. You just don't conscious about anything, you feel no pain. Again, that doesn't sound like a, something I would be looking forward to. If you're the Scientologists that believe in reincarnation, they believe that you were reincarnated from an alien in space and millions of years ago, and somewhere down the line, that's where you'll return to, is to outer space. Our Catholic friends believe you go into a place of limbo a place called purgatory. And you can be prayed out of there by the people who are still left. Pope John Paul II was asked if he would go to purgatory. And he said, oh yes I will. But I won't be there long because I'm gonna have millions of Catholics praying me out. Others, as was indicated in the question, said what about soul sleep, a soul slumber? I've heard when you die, my soul is asleep until Jesus returns to give us the new resurrected body and eternity begins at that point. And there are many that believe that, soul sleep. There are many that believe, including most of us here in this place, that the moment you die, your body starts decaying or whatever happens to your body, but your soul goes to either a place of reward or a place of punishment. If I'm gonna ask anybody, I know who I wanna ask, I wanna ask the expert, or the experts, which are Jesus himself, a person, a man who has been both places, and I believe multiple times, and the people that he taught firsthand. The experts are Jesus and the apostles. 
And so that's what I would like us to journey together through a few passages that I picked out today in the Bible. And we'll see what it has to say about this question. I'm going to start at the end. What happens when Jesus returns? Because that's the easy part for me. I don't think we can dispute that or argue that. If you want to argue, I, I'm, I'm comfortable defending my position on that, what happens to us. It's that part after we die and before Jesus comes back that I have to leave a little space. I've got what I believe happens. I'll show you that today in Scripture. But Jason said, if we're going to talk about difficult things, we have to agree up front that sometimes we may not know all the answers to those things. But Scripture ought to be our guide. And so some of you will be walking through these things. It's the first time you consider that. You make your opinion. We'll start with 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he begins by saying, by the way, I, I missed something there. I wanted to tell you, because we're going to see this a lot. We're going to see the word sleep a lot, and I think I had that in the notes. If Some of you grabbed the notes. Sleep means death, not asleep. When a person dies, they look like they're asleep. And to Jesus, they kind of are because he knows it's a temporary thing. But he means death. For example, Lazarus, my friend, is asleep. The disciples said, well, then why do we need to hurry and go there if he's just sleeping? Now, I'm saying when I say asleep, I mean he's dead. Okay? The little girl, she's just asleep. The people around her said, she's dead. We've been mourning her. He's saying, no. She, uh, she is just asleep in terms of, because I'm going to bring her back to life. But she was dead. Okay, so reading this passage, he said, brothers and sisters, when he says brothers and sisters, Paul's talking to believers, people who are Christians. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of our and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Notice that they say, those who have died will come back with Jesus. So people that have already died, when you die, if it's before Jesus comes, one thing we can say for sure, when Jesus comes back to get everybody and the day of resurrection, you're coming back with them. I used to think that meant your spirit and your, your body would go to the ground and be raised up one day and I used to think that was just your soul or your spirit and that may very well be the case. But I'm going to argue a little bit the other way today because of some passages I'll show you. 
Paul seems to always, throughout the New Testament, if you read his letters, he seems to always argue, when you're absent from the body, you're present with Christ. Absent from the body, present with Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Same person writing the letter, and he's writing it to the church at Corinth. Beginning in verse 50. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scriptures will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brother and sister, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. The instructions to us, what we really ought to focus on here, is not that we're all going to be changed someday into a body that will last forever. The instruction is, right now, be strong and immovable. Nail your faith down and be steadfast in what you believe. And work hard for the Lord. Nothing is in vain if you're working hard for the Lord. Even the tasks you do, day in and day out, for your job or around the house, whatever you do. Do it as if you're doing it for the Lord, and it will not be in vain. Our mortal bodies will be changed into immortal bodies. That's what happened when Jesus returns. Now, I know I'm not answering the question. The question is, what happens in the meantime to us? What happens the minute we die? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll start answering that now from Scripture. I want to read this from the New Living Translation because I agree with when different versions are being translated, ESV, New American Standard, New King James, King James, so forth. A group of people get together, okay, and they make decisions based on the words of how they're going to interpret that into a language, say English, for example. So this is how this group of Bible scholars got together and translated this. I need to encourage you to go back and read the others, but if I was using commentaries and going to stand and preach today, I would be translating it just the way that the New Living does. Am I 100% right? I'm not sure, okay? But this is what the Lord's laid on my heart and my mind in the meantime. So here's what Paul once again is saying. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, 
an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Amen to that, anybody? And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Yeah, I often think of that. That would be nice. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. I really don't want to die. i got something built into me that wants me to keep going, don't you? Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Our current bodies are being swallowed up by death. All of us have been dying for a long time. Hopefully it's going to take a long time, we'll say to ourselves. But that's the end that all of us have in front of us, unless Jesus comes back before then. God himself has prepared us for this. As a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So, here's the so therefores. Since this is true, we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by saying. That's called what? Faith. Yes, we are fully confident. We, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So, whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. Now, if you read that and you're really not sure, and you say, that's not a plain thing. One thing it is plain, whether you're here now in this body or you're not, you know what your goal is. And we've known it by reading the entire Bible. Your goal is to please him. Well, like I said, I used to think that you would be a spirit in that in-between time, after you die and before Jesus comes back and the day of resurrection. Then I started, here's some of the things I started thinking about. What about Enoch? He was just taken up into heaven, if you remember his story. Well, then what happened to his body then? What about Elijah? He went up in a whirlwind, didn't he? What, what happened to his body then? Uh, what about Jesus? Jesus, I believe after the day he rose and before he ascended, he went in and out of heaven. Heaven may be a place, another dimension. I'm not sure how we describe that. It's the place where God is, the presence of God. But on the day of ascension, Jesus left, I think, to put this in his apostles' mind, I'm not coming back now, physically. Okay, and when you see me again, he would say, there'll be no mistake, it's I. I will come back at the sound of the trumpet. He taught all those things to his apostles. So he went bodily into heaven. Speaking of Jesus, Let's go to the cross in Luke 23. In Luke's account of the crucifixion, Jesus is crucified between two criminals. All the people on the ground watching, well, most of them, were saying, what a fraud. Hey, phony, come on down. If you're who you say you are, the Son of God, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. And they would mock him and make fun of him. So did the two criminals make fun of him. 
on both sides. And what they were saying was, hey, if you're anything like you say you are, save yourself and us too. But after a while, after Jesus was there being crucified, one of those criminals or thieves, I think, started noticing things like, what's this he's saying? Lord, forgive them all. They don't really know what they're doing. Have mercy on them, Father. And saying tender things like, John, take care of my mother, will you? One thief seemed to change his opinion of Jesus. Let's pick this up. In th verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, or then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's, what he's doing is he's saying, to, he's acknowledging who Jesus was, and he's begging for Jesus' mercy. When you go into kingdom, remember me and show me mercy. I don't deserve it. I've already said out loud, I don't de I'm de getting what I deserve. I don't deserve your mercy, but please give it to me. And Jesus answers him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus more or less is saying, that's what I wanted to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. And you, that, your attitude now, your heart now, your Verbal confession of faith has just saved you. Now, I want to say something. Paradise, when we read paradise, are we talking heaven? Well, if you want to be literal about it, paradise means a garden. Usually referred to in ancient scripts as the king's garden. The Babylonian kings and other kings would have these unbelievable gardens. They were spectacular. You picture the, the best garden you've ever been in, beautiful you know, birds, animals, all kinds of vegetation, great. Well, it kind of sounds like what I picture the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? It was a paradise before sin came along. So this is what Jesus is saying. Today, you're going to be with me in the garden. I, you can't find that too often in the Bible. I did find in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to that. We'll just read that so you can see where he uses the word paradise. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. First of all, this man he knows is himself. He, he earlier, over a decade earlier, was caught up to the third heaven. What do you mean the third heaven? First heaven, the atmosphere, clouds, rainbows, those kind of things. Second heaven, outer space, Jupiter, Pluto, Milky Way, all that. Third heaven, way beyond it all, where the place where God lives. So he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He's not sure if he physically was taken there or if he was taken there kind of like in a dream in his mind he was taken there. He's not sure. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So he was taken to a garden, an absolutely beautiful place. 
He says there's things I can't tell you about the place, though. We can't hear those things. You know, I often have to say to God when I'm in a time of prayer and praying about something, God, you didn't give me as much information as I want on this. And I want to tell you the thought that's come back to my mind, and I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie uh, A Few Good Men, I think it's the name of it. Uh, it's Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. And they're in a military court trial. And Tom Cruise says to Jack Nicholson, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson, in a real loud voice, says, you can't handle the truth. And sometimes I imagine that God is saying to me when I say those things to him, Randy, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle it all. I've given you enough. I've given you what you need to know. I've given you enough to encourage you, to give you great hope. And I've given you clear directions on what to do now. But all these questions you're asking now, you can't handle it now. They're way above what a human being would be able to understand. I believe that's true. That's an opinion. And I kind of operate that way. I'm not meant to know everything. But the bottom line is there's a garden. Randy Alcorn, and uh, several of you know who I'm talking about because we've studied his book, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. We've studied it three or four times in our uh, one of them was in our Thursday morning Bible study. He's one of the few people that have wrote extensively on it, and I know you're going to hear Jason referring to him from time to time, maybe even in a much more detail than I'm going to. But he simply has scoured the scriptures and formed inferences from them, and he believes that when we go to that garden, that paradise, it's a physical place. We're not going to be floating around in a cloud up there. It's a physical place, and we're given a temporary body to do physical things. That we're going to be able to walk, talk, be productive, enjoy things to honor God. We're going to be able to live life the way it was meant to live, and that's even in the between time. I am convinced that's what it'll be like after Jesus comes back. We're going to have life here on earth is where we'll live forever and ever and ever. Jesus will be the ruler. We won't be voting anymore. We'll have a king. Praise God, it'll be Jesus. Okay? And we'll have life like it was had there never been any sin ever. So anything that's bad that happens because this is a result of sin, it won't happen there. But Elkhorn believes that there'll be a temporary place that we'll live till then. You might want to read his book. I will say the first half of it, and I think Jason says this, the first half of it is based on a lot of biblical text. The second half of it, um, he has all his dogs he ever had around him and all that, and I'm not sure he's basing that on scripture, but he's using what he knows to give you a view of it. But it's one of the few writers that writes a lot on it. Anyways, sorry I digressed. But back to the point with Jesus on the cross and what he said to the thief, his words to the thief seems to imply no soul sleep. He doesn't say, today you're going to go to sleep, and when you wake up, you'll be with me in a paradise. He says, today you'll be in paradise. Now, let me, a little side note here. If we do go to sleep for, say, 500,000 years, all right, I never thought that was that bad anyways, and I really thought about that a couple weeks ago when I went and got a scope done, and they put me under with anesthesia. 
I mean, one second I'm awake, then I went to sleep, and when I woke up, it was like it was a second later. So if that's the way it is, if I just go to sleep, immediately wake back up, and a thousand years went by, or a million years went by, that, that's good enough for me, but Jesus seems to indicate that's not what happens, that you'll be in a paradise, not sleeping. The rich man and Lazarus is another place we ought to take a look at before we close out today. We had a sermon, I think, not too long ago on this passage in Luke 16. And I'd like to see how it might apply to today's question. I will say this. I'm not even sure if this is a parable or not. It doesn't say, he doesn't treat it like it's a parable. He uses a real name, Lazarus, for one of the people. He doesn't do that in parables. This may be a true story, but even in his true story, we can't take everything literal. So let me just tell you that up front. But we can take some main, you know, how he frames the story. Uh, we can take that as beneficial. In Luke 16, beginning with 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now keep in mind, this is Jesus telling this. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he was in torment, and he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now we won't read it all. And by the way, a little disclaimer, I don't want you to think that Lazarus, because he was poor, went to Abraham's side or to heaven, and the other man, because he was rich, went to hell. What happened here is the beggar was right in front of the rich man. He couldn't help but even notice he sat at his gate every day and was in a terrible condition. And the rich man apparently did nothing ever to help them. That's not the sign of someone whose heart's been changed by the power of the gospel and the good news in Jesus Christ. If we jump down to verse 27 after he was told that, no, you can't come here, he can't go there to help you. Once you get to where you're at, there's too big of a distance, you're there permanently. Once that's explained in verse 27, he says, well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. And of course, he's told, no, that can't happen either. But notice that Jesus didn't say when these men died that their spirits drifted to two destinations. He said these men went to two places. The one seems to be a person being comforted. The other seems to be in agony, on fire, thirsty. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell the rich man that, listen, what you need to do, or Abraham, speaking for him, doesn't tell the rich man, no, we're not going to go warn your brothers, but what you need to do is hope that they pray you out of here. He didn't say that either. 
Rather, he says, no one can go from where you're at to where Abraham and Lazarus are. So I make these four observations when I read, read it. And it's just inferences. This is what, how I read it. Immediately, you go to your destination when you die. What happens when I die? You immediately go to your destination of reward or punishment. Both of these men had physical qualities. The one felt heat. The one wanted to be comforted with water and so forth. The other was able to be comforted. The destination is permanent. And they seem to be very well aware of what's going on. In other words, not in a soul sleep. They seem to at least know. Even if they are in spirit, they seem to know what's going on. One last text, and we're not going to read it today because the time's moving on. But I'll just remind you, because we read it not too long ago at Easter time, the day of the resurrection. There was two men on the road leaving Jerusalem, heading to the town of Emmaus. And all of a sudden, Jesus was there, the resurrected Jesus, walking with them. He talked with them, interacted with them, explained scripture to them. They sat down to have a meal together. Jesus broke bread. And then Jesus disappeared right in front of their eyes. They realized then who it was and ran back into Jerusalem to tell, to tell the disciples. They had just seen Jesus and the disciples said, yeah, so did Peter and others have seen him too. He's alive. And while they were talking, Jesus shows up in front of them and says, peace be with you. They were startled. They thought they saw a ghost. He said, no, I'm not a ghost. I am a real person. Look. And he holds up his hands. And he shows them the scars. Look at my feet. Come and touch me. They touched him. That's not a spirit. That's a real person. Still not sure? Give me something to eat. They gave him a fish. And Jesus started eating the fish. It's me. I'm a real person. So Jesus himself with his res resurrected body was a physical person. He left earth and went back to heaven, a physical person. The resurrected Jesus could be touched and he could eat. So I believe Jesus, who is God, always continues somehow. I don't, I'm not going to explain it to you because I can't. He somehow continues to exist in a physical person, as well as being the God of the universe all at one time. I'll explain that to you after you tell me how in the beginning when Jesus was born he was fully God and fully human at the same time or I'll explain that to you after you tell me how God exists as three persons all at once the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit I'll be like Jesus they would ask him a question he says well let me ask you a question in other words we just can't answer all those questions but we are to have faith believing that God is all powerful Believing Jesus loves us more than any person that there ever was. So much that he was willing to die for us. He has all the power and all this love. What's in store for me if I keep my faith in Jesus? Nothing but good things. Nothing but good things. So when we die, I know this. We'll be with him. And perhaps in body form, not a disembodied spirit. I know this for sure. Wherever, whenever we get there, we're going to recognize a man who still has scars in his hands. I think they'll be there forever. 
and will bow down and worship and say, my Lord, my God, praise you for what you've done for me. Because I am going to live forever with you because of nothing I did because of what you did for me. All I did was just trust you with my life. The bottom line is not to understand all the details, but to trust God. We're to do everything that we can to live a godly life. The Bible tells us, set your mind not on earthly things, but on things above. Fix our mind on eternal things. Things that won't go away. Money's going to go away. Jobs are going to go away. Possessions are going to go away. Houses are going to go away. Yards are going to go away. On and on and on. Those things are all going to go away. But eternal things are the things that never will die and never go away. We're to focus and fix our mind on those things. And trust Jesus that when he says where you're going will be a paradise. Do you trust him that you're going to go to a paradise, a garden so beautiful you're not going to believe it? Jesus does not spend on much time doesn't spend much time on when we die or much detail about what it'll be like. But he teaches something over and over and over and over again. What you need to be is ready. Be ready. He does that in his teaching time and time again. It's not important you know all the details of when you die. We get encouragement from that. I, I am glad I studied this and had some time to rethink through some things. But the most important thing is, is to be there, to be ready whenever it's time for him to call us home. If you walk closely with Jesus, you're going to hear Jesus speaking to you. He'll whisper something in your ear like, let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Today, focus on the task at hand, being ready, serving God. Be ready by having a close personal relationship with Jesus. If you're not sure about that, what the world are you talking about, a close relationship with Jesus, and you want someone to talk with, I can't think of anything I'd rather do today than to talk with somebody who doesn't know what that means. And if you want to do it some other time, in a more lengthy time than maybe you have today, come in or call into the office and Debbie will get Jason or Jarrett or me, and there's nothing we would rather do than talk to you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus and know for sure we're heading to the paradise. Well, let's be ready. Something awesome awaits for those who are ready.